0: welcome back to our systematic theology class uh, last time we took a little break here did to travel but uh, just to remind you last time was number 21 transmission of sin uh, tonight we'll be looking at 22 the covenants and then looking forward we get into sessions on christ specifically 23 the christ of the bible Um, We'll follow kind of our usual pattern tonight. I'm going to uh, read you, um, hopefully, a helpful article uh, regarding uh, covenant theology, and that will kind of set the table for what we're looking at. Uh, Then we will uh, pause and watch our our video from Dr. Sproul, Uh, and then we will come back and we will go through our overview sheet and look at our overview of what what we've uh, learned And look at some questions and answers to help us uh, remember memory aids. Some discussion questions, which uh, I will read. And for those listening, uh, that will be their homework to consider those discussion questions again as a memory aid. Um, And then we'll also look at our confession, specifically the chapter in our confession on God's covenant. And that is chapter 7. So let's uh, let's begin by looking at uh, this article on covenant theology. A Covenant theology is a hermeneutical framework that seeks to understand the Bible according to its covenantal structure. Covenant theology is particularly associated with reformed theology as the reformed tradition has devoted much attention to studying the biblical covenants. As Dr. Sproul frequently observed, reformed theology is covenant theology. A little bit of an explanation here. A covenant is a formal agreement between two or more parties. Biblical covenants usually involve both parties to the covenant making certain promises to one another. While biblical covenants have some things in common with modern contracts, biblical covenants are not mere legal agreements between two or more parties. Covenants in Scripture are grounded in a relationship of love and trust between two parties. Reformed theologians have historically identified three overarching covenants in the Bible. Number one, the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption refers to the covenant made in eternity past between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to redeem a people for the glory of God and the eternal good of his children. According to the terms of this covenant, the Father chose a people to save, The Son agreed to redeem this people through his life, death, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit consented to apply the redeeming work of the Son to those whom the Father had chosen. Note, however, that each person of the Trinity is involved in each of these aspects of the covenant of redemption. The Number two, the covenant of works. Sometimes called the covenant of creation or the Adamic covenant, The covenant of works is the covenant between God and Adam as the representative of all people who descend from him by ordinary generation. Under the terms of this covenant, God promised to confirm Adam in a state of life, to give him eternal life, if Adam were to obey him perfectly. In this covenant, Adam is the federal head of humanity, that is, He represented us in such a way that God pledged to count what he did to us. If he had obeyed, his obedience would be ours, and all people would have eternal life. Since Adam disobeyed, however, his disobedience is counted to us, and we are born in a state of sin and estrangement from God. Nevertheless, the demands of the covenant of works remain in place for all people. The Bible reveals the covenant of works in texts such as Genesis 1, 26-28, 2, 15-17, and Romans 5, 12-21. The number three, the covenant of grace. When Adam disobeyed and ate from the forbidden tree, God would have been entirely just to leave humanity in a state of sin and misery, cut off from eternal life. However, the Bible tells us that the Lord did not do that. Instead, he is chosen to show grace to to some, saving them from sin and guilt through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He made a covenant of grace with his people, pledging to save us in Christ. In turn, we respond in faith, trusting Jesus alone for salvation, which faith bears fruit in a life of faith and obedience. The covenant of grace is not so called because no works are involved. Instead, it is a gracious covenant because someone else, Christ Jesus our Lord, fulfills the covenant of works for us. As the last Adam, he renders the perfect obedience God demanded of the first Adam, and he atones for the sin of his people, assuaging God's wrath. In the covenant of grace, Christ is the federal head of his people. Thus, when we trust Christ, his perfect obedience is imputed to us, it is put on our accounts before God, and God declares us righteous and is having fulfilled the covenant of works, therefore we inherit eternal life. The covenant of grace is first announced in genesis three fifteen where God promises to crush the servant who introduced sin into the world. The specific work of Christ in fulfilling God's demands by his obe- <coughs> obedience is revealed in texts such as matthew three fifteen and Romans 5, 12 through 21. The imputation of Christ's righteousness to us is revealed in passages including Romans 3 21 through 4.25 and 2 Corinthians 5.21. Uniquely, the covenant of grace is unfolded in the history of salvation in a series of covenants that make God's promises to his people clearer and point to the coming of the Savior. So let's look at those. One, the Noahic Covenant, also called the Covenant of Continuation. The Noahic Covenant is the covenant between God and Noah in which the Lord promises to preserve the earth and never again send a flood to destroy all life. Genesis 8, 20-9, 17 reveals the Noahic Covenant. Two, the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, also known as the covenant of promise, reveals God's promise to bless the entire world through one family and through one son from that family in particular. God made a covenant with the patriarch Abraham to give him many descendants, a good land, and a great name. We find the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 121 through 3 15, 17, 22, 1-19... Romans four and Galatians three fifteen through twenty nine. Number three, the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant, also known as the Old Covenant or Law Covenant, stands out for its extensive legal regulations and sacrificial system. Covenant theology recognizes that men and women were redeemed under the Mosaic Covenant through faith in God's promises alone, just as they are saved under every other error during the covenant of grace. Nevertheless, the Mosaic Law and Covenant, as Paul tells us in Galatians three ten 10-14, holds out the promise of eternal life to all those who keep it perfectly. You can see also Leviticus 18.5. Yet God never intended the Mosaic Law to be a means of salvation for sinners. Instead, the Mosaic Law, in showing us that we cannot keep it, points us to Jesus, who kept the Mosaic Covenant in our behalf, fulfilling also the covenant of works, see Galatians 3, 15-29. In short, the Mosaic Covenant reminds us of the covenant of works, but it is not itself a covenant of works for sinners to fulfill. It is rooted in grace, in God's free choice to save Israel and then provide guidance in what pleases Him. Number four, the Davidic Covenant. The Davidic covenant, also known as the covenant of kingship or royal covenant, identifies the one family descended from Abraham to whom God would accomplish all the promises to his people. God chose David out of all the people of Israel to hold the kingship over Israel permanently. In the Davidic covenant, God promised David from the tribe of Judah an everlasting throne and a son to build him a temple. The Davidic covenant is given in 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, and Psalm 89. Genesis 49.10 and Isaiah 11 predict the exaltation of David's throne over the nations, and texts such as Isaiah 53 describe how the Son of David pays for the sin of David and all his people. Number five, the New Covenant. All of the other covenants under the covenant of grace, and indeed the covenant of grace itself, is fulfilled in the new covenant made by God in Christ with his people. The new covenant is announced in Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34, inaugurated in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, continued in the ministry of the church, and consummated at the return of Jesus at the end of history. The new covenant began in the work of Christ, but the fullness of its blessings will not arrive until Jesus returns. All the earlier covenants point forward to the new covenant, and Jesus in various ways fulfills the promises and goals of these covenants between God and his people. So I hope that was a helpful introduction uh, to covenant theology and to the covenants we'll be uh, looking at here. So uh, let's go ahead and pause, and we're going to watch our our video, and then we'll come back for our overview and um, confession and questions. All right, we've just finished watching our video. I think it was a really good one. Let's go over our overview here and uh, make sure we learned everything and remember everything going forward. So this is number 22, the covenants. Introduction, God in scripture relates to his people according to covenant. Here we outline three major covenants that serve as the framework of scripture. Overview, the author of Hebrews in chapter 8, 3 through 6 says Jesus was mediator of a better covenant that was established on better promises. The author then explains exactly why the new covenant is a better covenant. In this passage, the nature of covenants is revealed, demonstrating that the structure of covenant provides a framework for all God's relationships with man. Let's just pause for a second and go ahead and read uh, the scripture reference here. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 3 and continuing through verse 6. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, But as it is Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Okay, continuing on. The covenant God made with man progressed from the covenant made with Adam to one with Noah, then Abraham, then Moses, then David, and then with all believers through Christ. Covenants are based on the promises of God toward man. They include stipulations, that is, conditions to be fulfilled. Ceremonies and oaths follow that dramatize the words of the agreement. In Christ, God has given us his word that he will fulfill all he has said. Jesus' life and ministry were part of the dramatic revelation of the vast expanse of God's promises toward us. There are three major covenants in Scripture. The covenants of redemption, works, and grace are the three main covenants God has made. The first is the covenantal agreement that was made in eternity between the persons of the Godhead. The creation of the world came to be as a result. In redemption, the Trinity worked together to bring about the plan of salvation. The Father makes the plan, the Son carries out the plan, and the Spirit seals our salvation. The second is the covenant God made with Adam. In the probationary scenario of the garden, Adam and Eve covenanted with God to obey him and live. The destiny of human race was to be decided on the basis of the work of the federal head Adam and Eve. They disobeyed, failed at the probation, and condemned the world. The covenant of grace promotes us to the state that Adam and Eve would have achieved if they had obeyed. There was grace in the covenant of works, it was not empty of God's blessing. Confusion sometimes occurs when we read that we are saved by grace. We can see Ephesians 2 8 through 10. Jesus is the new Adam, the one who comes into the world and places himself under the obligations of the covenant of works. He succeeds where Adam failed. The life and works of Christ save us. So in this sense, we are saved by works, not our works, but the works of Christ. The covenant of grace does not nullify the covenant of works. It fulfills it. These two covenants fit together and fulfill the promises and requirements of God from all eternity. All right, let's look at our uh, questions and answers. These uh, act as good memory aids for what we've learned. What is the core element of a covenant? That would be promise. Who does the covenant of redemption involve? That's the triune Godhead from all eternity to accomplish the redemption of the elect. Which covenant describes how God related to human beings before the fall? The covenant of works. Does the covenant of works have any element of grace in it? Yes. God is not required to relate to his creatures or promise his creation anything. Which covenant introduces the promises of redemption? The covenant of grace. And we can see that in Genesis 3.15. By what are we ultimately saved? By Christ's substitutionary work. We are saved by God's grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So that's an important term there. We are saved by grace through faith in the work of Christ. Then I'll give you some discussion questions as kind of homework and to, to throw around and, and uh, make sure you remember. One, what does Hebrews 8, 3 through 6 teach about the New Covenant? We read that and looked at it. What is a covenant? Hopefully you've got that figured out by now. What is the covenant of redemption? Uh, As Paul mentioned, this is one that isn't talked about uh, as much as the others. What is the covenant of works? And finally, what is the covenant of... Of grace okay before we wrap up let's uh, open our confession and take a look at what our confession has to say on the subject of covenant we're gonna read chapter 7 of our confession the second London Baptist confession of faith 1689 chapter 7 is titled of God's Covenant Paragraph one, the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have attained the reward of life, but by some voluntary condensation on God's part, which he hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. Paragraph two. Moreover, man having brought himself under the curse of the law by his fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace, wherein he freely offereth unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him, that they may be saved, and promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto eternal life his Holy Spirit, to make them a willing and able to believe paragraph three this covenant is revealed in the gospel first of all to adam in the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman and afterwards by farther steps until the full discovery thereof was completed in the new testament and it is founded in that eternal covenant transaction that was between the father and the son about the redemption of the elect and it is alone by the grace of this covenant That all the posterity of fallen Adam that ever were saved did obtain life and a blessing, and a blessed immortality. Man being now utterly incapable of acceptance with God upon those terms on which Adam stood in his in his state of innocency. So, just to repeat, we we see that first covenant of redemption mentioned here in paragraph three. Um, Let's see where was it exactly. And it is founded in that eternal covenant transaction that was between the Father and the Son about the redemption of the elect. So I hope that uh, that's helpful to us in our study here. Um, and I hope this session has been very helpful uh, to understand God's covenants, God, God's promises, um, particularly um, toward us and uh, how they involve us and how we rely on god's promises and what a wonderful thing it is that we have a god of promises Uh, as was mentioned earlier god had no obligation to make any promises with his creation Uh, it was purely by god's grace that he did so and thus we are offered eternal life through christ so let's close in prayer Our Father and our God, we once again thank you that we can uh, gather to study uh, your word, your truth, try and better understand it. We pray for your Spirit's work in us to illuminate us. We pray that uh, you would give us clear minds, uh, that you would continue to transform and renew our minds, Lord. We thank you indeed that you are a God of promises, uh, that you indeed uh, condescended to us uh, Lord uh, to to give us such covenants to make such agreements with us um, and then the ultimate uh, fulfillment uh, of Christ uh, coming down uh, incarnate and fulfilling uh, your covenant of works perfectly as uh, we human creatures uh, did not do and could not do since the fall uh, Lord and then and finally in Christ's death uh, as your wrath was poured upon Him um, the perfect spotless Lamb uh, to fulfill once and for all uh, the wrath for the fall of man we, we rest in this promise we rest in the redemption of Christ we rest and put our hope in the salvation that is in the imputed righteousness of Christ upon us as children of God, as you've told us, we have been right. We have the right to be called the children of God because our faith is in Christ, Son of God, Son of Man. Lord, we uh, we again I uh, just praise you and thank you uh, for that gift of life. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.